Countrywide on ABC Radio. Ultimately, we have animals in society because they turn food that we can't eat into food that we can. Now when I pick up a carrot, it's not just an ordinary carrot. Countrywide. 30,000 tonnes a week, something like that. Uh, That doesn't even cover the issue of broadband. Climb down off your ivory tower in Canberra. You've never set foot on a farm. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hello, Kit Mocken here with you today. Great to have your company on Countrywide. Today on the show, a story you might have heard about, it's been making a few waves online. Do you know anyone with backyard chooks? I wonder how many they have, maybe 10, maybe 20? Well, you're going to meet a Sunshine Coast farmer who, thanks to social media, rehomed 1,400 chickens this week. I thought I was stressed before. Uh, The phone started dinging about five minutes after your post went to Facebook yesterday, and there's another one, and it has not stopped. Yes, 1,400 chickens. Also, I wonder if you've got a few people off sick at work because of Omicron. It seems that every office has been hit. Well, we're going to head to a South Australian potato processing factory where a worker shortage might mean a few less spuds on the dinner table for the next month or so. It's incredibly stressful. We will be relieved once this next two weeks is over and we're sort of just trying to pull people from all different areas of our business to fill those roles. And a little bit of a riddle for you. Can you farm without a farm? Can you do it in the city as well? It's really funny because when people say to me, oh, where's your business? Um, Where's your farm? I'll say it's in Battery Point. They go, they look perplexed and they're like, no, no, there's no farms in Battery Point. The urban micro farmers are here. That's just around the corner on Countrywide. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. But first, turning to Europe, where 100,000 Russian troops are sitting on the Ukrainian border. With everything going on, you'd probably forgive the region's farmers for putting the grain harvest out of their mind. But Ukraine, the so-called breadbasket of Europe, is right smack bang in the middle of the conflict brewing between Russia and NATO. And 12% of the global wheat market is at stake. It could mean a huge shake-up for foods like bread, biscuits and pasta, and the global wheat market in general, which Australia is a massive player in. Mercado senior market analyst Adrian Lodnitsky says that until that ice thaws in Ukraine, the entire region's harvest is at stake. Ukraine is incredibly significant on the world stage. So if we look at um, Ukraine's wheat exports for the expected 2021 season, uh, we expect that they'll, be, they'll account for around 12% of global exports or 24 million tonnes for this year. The potential price impact of these grains being, of just wheat alone being disrupted, could be very significant for Australian farmers. And it's, it's leaning towards the upside, of course. How much of that primary production, that wheat and that corn, is centred in areas that are expected to undergo conflict, perhaps, in the near future? Now, I guess there's been speculation that there's there's interest from the Russians of territory within Ukraine, um, east of the Dnieper River. Now, in terms of wheat production, that actually represents 47% of Ukraine's total wheat production, which for this year is over 12 million metric tonnes. And in terms of, of corn... Uh, around 40% of production of corn production for Ukraine is centred east of the Dnieper River as well. 
But the real story isn't just about the, where the production's occurring at Diangus. It's also about logistics. Disruption to railway, um, river transport, um, and particularly the ports within Ukraine, uh, down in the Black Sea region, um, is really what will end up driving um, grain prices higher. Is that limited to Ukraine itself? Those ports also serve a number of other Eastern European countries, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Um, Russian grain and also I think grain from Kazakhstan and such like also are transported through some of those Black Sea ports. Military occupation of, of the Black Sea ports could see a significant amount of grain essentially blocked out of in, in the international market in the event of disruption. If it comes to pass that this grain isn't able to be harvested, what happens to those farmers in these contested areas if there's conflict taking place there? In the event of conflict, um, there's always people displaced. There has been estimates of anywhere between 1.5 and 7 million Ukrainians that may be displaced as a result of significant conflict uh, in the east of Ukraine. And many of those people may be farmers. Um, and people that support the um, the agricultural community there. Does the fruitfulness of this part of the world have anything to do with the interest that Russia has shown in this particular land? That's probably something I can't comment on directly. However, if you look historically, Ukraine has been a, a major breadbasket of Europe, which has been a focus uh, of the capture of resources for centuries. Putting aside the obvious human cost that comes along with these circumstances we find ourselves in. How might you feel as an Australian farmer about your own harvest and about perhaps 2022 altogether? What does this mean for our producers? Overall, I think, Angus, that the destabilisation in uh, in Eastern Europe and with Russia and Ukraine, I think, could be very positive for prices of feed and, and food grains, um, including wheat and potentially barley. There is speculation, I guess, at the moment, um, because nothing has actually happened, that the market hasn't actually fully priced in the consequences of any conflict in Ukraine. If anything does kick off, you would expect um, prices to rise uh, quite significantly as a result. This region has been in a state of flux for a long time now, so a lot of people could be forgiven for thinking that this standoff might continue for a long, long time further. What might we expect if that's the case? Is it feasible that Ukraine can carry on with a harvest while there's this significant build-up of, of military presence in that region? I think farming will go on, Angus, during this time. And if anything is going to occur, it will occur in the next couple of months, according to um, the opinions of some military analysts. And that's generally related to the, the weather conditions at the moment. Currently, they have frozen ground, which actually allows for mechanised um, military machines to move across um, the very fertile Ukrainian plains. Um, as soon as the thaw occurs, the fertility of, of Ukraine could act, will actually work against any potential um, conflict. Anything heavy will sink in the field. Mikado Senior Market Analyst Adrian Leniski speaking to Angus McIntosh. From the paddock to the plate, countrywide on ABC Radio. Kit Mocken here. Thanks for your company. The crippling impact of COVID-19 on the hospitality industry has convinced one egg farmer to call it quits. 
Paul Heaton is or was a pasture-raised egg farmer. It's a type of egg really popular in your trendy cafes or at your farmer's markets. On Monday, he put the call out that he was looking to rehome 1,400 chickens from his farm on Queensland's Sunshine Coast. He told Jennifer Nichols that after five years of working 100 hours a week, he wanted less stress and more time to spend with his family. It's just not worth the stress in the current circumstances. So, yeah, we pulled the pin on it. We just have to get used to it all now and get rid of the chickens. Uh, We've got a huge oversupply of eggs, again, due to the current circumstances with the tourism industry, and it's just not worth it for us anymore. When did Fat Belly Farm start? I kicked it off early 2016. I think it was March 2016. Uh, We started off with one van. And each year I've sort of made up another one and added it to the business, which is all going well. We had the customer base for, for four vans, but it just, in sort of the last six months, you could see the things slowing down. And the last sort of two months, it's really basically come to a halt. Paul Hayden from Fat Belly Farm speaking there. And joining me from the Sunshine Coast is Jennifer Nichols. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Kit. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good, thank you. Paul has had quite a week. Where is he at the moment? What's happened? So Paul Heaton for the last, well, since 2016, he started a pasture-raised egg farming business and it was doing really well. He was building it up and COVID struck The business plummeted. He built it back up again, but then this latest round of Omicron has just had such a devastating impact on cafe and restaurant orders for him that he decided that he just couldn't keep working seven days a week and that he wanted to call it quits because he wanted his kids to see him without being a stressed-out dad. He was looking to rehome 1,400 layers which is a lot of chooks. He wanted to find them good homes. And we put the word out on online and on Facebook and it just went nuts. So we had thousands of shares. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who contacted him. He was totally snowed under, couldn't get back to everybody, feeling a bit stressed about that, letting people down. But the good news is, Kit, that he has managed to find homes for all of the chickens. That is very good news. Now he's just got eggs to go. <laughs> and and you're not lying about the outpouring of messages. On one post alone, I think we had over 5,000 comments. Did you expect this sort of interest or did it sort of take you aback? I was surprised at just how fast it spread. But in some ways, I guess getting a few chickens for your backyard isn't too daunting a prospect. So it was one way that people potentially could really help Paul. And so it was just lovely to see all of these people trying to put their arms around him via the social media network and try to help him out. And it worked. We hear about pasture-raised eggs. You might see them in the supermarket. They're usually a bit more expensive. What sets them apart from, you know, say a free-range egg or or a cage egg? What What is the big difference? Right. So you often find them quite hard to find in a supermarket. They're often more in your small independent retailers or at farmers markets or butchers or grocers. It's a method of production where they 
move the chickens through pasture. So they're outside, they're on a big paddock and they have chicken tractors. In Paul's case, he converted three old caravans and then bought one that was purpose-made. And the chickens roost in these tractors and lay their eggs in there and then they move them through the paddocks with a series of electric fences around them. So once they've eaten the pasture there and all the insects, they'll move them every two or three days. So it's extremely labour-intensive. And when you sort of talk about free-range and pasture-raised eggs, in 2018, they changed the definition of free-range. So the stocking density can be 10,000 birds per hectare, which is a massive change from the code of practice, which initially said 1,500 birds per hectare for free-range. Wow, that's quite a lot. It is a lot. Although, to be fair, uh, Australian Eggs Managing Director Rowan McMunnings has said that consumers concerned about stocking rates, you can find them displayed on the carton. So you've just got to do a bit more research. But the pastured eggs, they move them all the time. So they're, they're out in the paddock and often have those beautiful marema dogs as livestock guardians as well. So it looks a bit like what you would imagine when you see a box of eggs and you see those lush green fields and chickens walking about. Absolutely. And we've got a ton of pasture-raised egg producers in my patch here on the Sunshine Coast. It's very popular. It doesn't look good for Paul with his business uh, not being profitable. I know we have had COVID, which has put a dent in some cafe sales and things like that. But is the business model of pasture-raised eggs, is it just not profitable at all? No, not at all. It just depends where your market is. So in case of Paul, because he was selling a lot to the cafes and restaurants, when they went down, so did his trade. If you had uh, business already locked in with, say, farmer's markets or your independent supermarkets, then you've got more guaranteed trade. And I have spoken to other pasture deck producers who said business has actually improved recently. So more people are eating eggs. So it's interesting. Very much depends where you've got your business locked in. And Paul has managed, with the help of social media, to to move his chooks on. And I think he's got good office on his machinery. What's next for Paul? Well, he is by trade a diesel mechanic, so he's got lots of options out there because I imagine that trade's very much in demand. He also uh, is a truck driver. So I think, though, kid, I think he just really wants to take a couple of weekends off and he's got a fair bit of work to do before he gets to do that and he's just so tired. He's been so exhausted. Um, It's good to have been able to help him in some way and we just really wish him all the best because he tried his very best to provide the highest welfare for his hens and in the food that he's producing. And he really wanted to say to people too, to get out there and support your local farmers. Think about how far your food is travelling. Pasture-raised eggs are often sold locally. So have a look at how you can support your local farmers at farmers markets and things like that. A good message to leave off on and I hope that Paul gets a few sleep-ins between now and his next adventure. Thank you so much (laughs) for speaking to me, Jennifer. Thank you, Kit. ABC Sunshine Coast rural reporter Jennifer Nichols speaking to me there. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio.
Have you had any trouble getting potatoes lately? Or you might have had a suspiciously smaller serving size of chips at your local fish and chip shop. Please do let us know if that happens. Well, a manager at a major vegetable company in South Australia says the state's strict COVID-19 isolation rules is stretching their ability to supply spuds. Eliza Balage has this report. Despite recently opening a multi-million dollar potato packing facility, Renee Pye says her family business is struggling to get spuds on shelves. The Zarella Fresh marketing manager is calling on the state government to reduce isolation requirements from 10 to 7 days, in line with National Cabinet recommendations for workers who test positive to COVID-19. Seven days would be amazing, but in South Australia it's still at 10, which puts us in a not great position. If it was reduced to seven days, you know, people felt better and they tested negative on a rapid test and they could get out at seven days. That would make things a lot better for us and we would be able to not stress as much about trying to get orders out or cancelling orders to supermarkets. Ms Pye says the company, which has packing facilities in Virginia and Perilla, is experiencing up to 60 to 70% of workers being impacted by the Omicron variant. It's incredibly stressful. We will be relieved once this next two weeks is over and we're sort of just trying to pull people from all different areas of our business to fill those roles that need to be filled and try and train people as quickly as possible on machines that need skilled people to run them as well. And have you been able to get any access to rats for workers or have workers been trying to get them themselves? It's been a mix. So, um, yeah, individually management have been trying to get them themselves through pick-up points and those sorts of things. And we've also ordered some, but they're not due to arrive until end of Jan, which is obviously when everyone comes out of quarantine in our business I mean, it's not going to be that helpful in the instance when we really need them now. Some fast food chains and smaller eateries are reportedly taking chips off the menu due to the potato shortage. But Ms Pye says Zarella Fresh doesn't have a problem at this stage. I guess there's like a few reasons or a handful of reasons why there could be a shortage, which is the unfortunate weather event that happened in Victoria, which... Fortunately, we're not affected by that in regards to seed or harvesting fresh and processed produce. But I think there probably will be a slight shortage in the coming months or orders sort of up for us on our processing side of growing because we grow in the Mallee, which wasn't affected by the weather event that happened. And then obviously COVID, but we're trying our hardest to get out the orders that we can and make sure that we're still getting supplies to the supermarkets. Ausveg National Public Affairs Manager Tyson Cattle says there's plenty of potatoes to meet the demand. Instead, the issue is with COVID-19 wiping out the workforce. It's been really, really difficult, particularly just with the COVID pandemic and the close contacts and, and people, if, if they've been in contact or they live with somebody that's receiving COVID or, or has COVID at the moment, they have to isolate, which has made it, made it really difficult for our growers and, their, and the broader fresh produce supply chain. So we are welcoming of the federal government and the state government's recent decision to lessen the definition, if you like, of of close contacts. So that's had a real benefit to our growers. But certainly, you know, a lot of our our growers are experiencing difficulty in the supply chain because people are are just wiped out with COVID at the moment. Mr Cattle says he welcomes a push towards national consistency in COVID-19 isolation rules. Oh, look, I think anything in terms of that can bring it into 
consistency and national consistency is always welcome. If we can bring that in line with New South Wales and Victoria to, to seven days, then certainly we would support that. However, you know, it's up to the, the state government to, to make those decisions and rely on the health advice. So we certainly just want some national consistency. However, you know, we just want to make sure that the workers, when they do return to work, are, are, are safe and able to, I guess. And um, and the sooner we can do that, the, uh, the sooner we can go back to a relative normal sort of uh, processes in terms of getting fresh produce to our, to our consumers. Ausverge National Public Affairs Manager Tyson Cattle ending that report by Eliza Balage. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. Farming can be challenging at the best of times. Last year, Australian farmers faced soaring land prices, mice plagues on the east coast and bushfires in the west. But what if you could farm food right next to the people who eat it in the city? David Barnett Clement with this report. Behind the doors of a shipping container in the heart of a capital city, two acres worth of produce is being grown in a little over 100 square metres. So um, my name is Peter Handy. I'm on the owner of a controlled environment growing unit called Vertical Pastures and we can grow lettuces, leafy greens, Asian greens, herbs, some root vegetables and some flowering plants as well. Yeah. And we're down by the waterfront in Battery Point yeah. in Hobart, yeah. about as far away from a farm as you can get in Tasmania. <laughs> Why choose this location? I know, it's, re- it's really funny because um, when people say to me, oh, where's your business, um, where's your farm? Because I call it the farm, that's what it is. I'll say it's in Battery Point, they go, they look perplexed and they're like, no, no, there's no farms in Battery Point. Yeah, yeah, I've got a farm in Battery Point. It's right on the waterfront. You should come and have a look sometime. It's really cool. So it, it's here because I need to be as close to my clients and my customers, the chefs and restaurants of Hobart. I aim to use the least amount of food miles as possible and make this a super efficient and lean business. So even looking to do um, my deliveries on a bicycle or on an electric bike maybe, The farm was designed and built by an American company and bought off the shelf. It's one of a growing number of urban farms in Australia. And it's all pre-manufactured. It is a shipping container, so it itself is its own packaging. It came here on a ship. It took about three months to get out here. And when it comes, you just unpack it all and, and there's not much to put together. Technically, you're supposed to just plug it in and plug it into the water, plug in the electricity and go. Um, I had a little bit of difficulty here because um, it wasn't set up for Australian electrical standards, so I had to get that done. And So, yeah, so it is um, pretty much plug and play. You've got two acres worth of production fitted into a 40-foot container. Are you going to get another one? Uh, <laughs> that's the dream. Look, in the US, they've got them stacked on top of each other, so you've got the minimal footprint. But, yeah, that is the, the dream. Another one. How many people do you think walk down into this shipyard and think, oh, yeah, there's a farm in the corner? Uh, they'd have absolutely no idea. No. All right. Shall we have a look? Yeah, let's come on, come on in and have a look. The seeds are grown in a pod. And it's very similar to what florists use holding their flowers in place. Like it's like a foam. And so those seedlings will stay in there for about 14 days. Once the seedlings are mature enough, They're then transplanted into the vertical towers and the nutrients come from a drip emitter from the top of the tower and they're filtered down the wicking strip onto um, all the plants. And the lights, um, the red and blue spectrum, uh, all that the plants need for photosynthesis. So it's super efficient, 
Can, can you describe for me what the lights actually look like? They're these huge panels. Oh, yes. I feel like I'm in a disco. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, actually, I'm a big Star Wars fan. And it looks like um, a couple of scenes out of the Star Wars where I, I expect Darth Vader to come running down the, uh, the alley there and come and grab me. But, yeah, so it's like a big, long um, panel. Um, there's um, red and blue spectrum panels. They're LEDs. They're super efficient and heat efficient, so they don't give off too much heat. Although there is an air conditioner inside this unit that runs 24-7. And all this tech delivers real benefits. Because the produce is grown inside, there's no need for pesticides, and the production process is itself more efficient. This farm will use 90 to 95% less water than traditional soil farming. And this type of efficient farming is exactly what we'll need in the future, according to science writer Julian Cribb. I've published five books dealing with the human existential emergency that is now affecting us all. And I guess, can you introduce me to your most recent book on this topic, Food or War? Yeah, Food or War is the second book I've written about the, uh, the looming world food crisis. Basically, it says that we have a big food problem coming because the combination of loss of water, loss of topsoil, climate change and overuse of poisons is going to more or less scupper uh, the agriculture that we know and love by the middle of this century. So we're going to have to change the nature of the way we produce food. And one of these new forms of agriculture, according to Julian Cribb, is urban farming. Not only are you producing food in proximity to the people who eat it, but humans themselves produce a lot of fertile waste. Well, basically, all the food that flows through the world's cities, you know, is being gathered from thousands of kilometres away. People are consuming it or wasting it. And the nutrients from that food are either going down the sewer pipe or they're going into the, into the garbage tip. All that nitrogen, phosphorus, potash and micronutrients is being trashed. Now, that can't go on if we are to have a viable civilization. With this huge bank of nutrients in mind, can you tell me about a British architect called Oscar Rodriguez? What did he have to say about London? Well, uh, Oscar estimates that if London recycled all its organic waste, it could basically feed the whole of Britain on fresh vegetables. You know, it's just an estimate to give you an idea of the enormous potential uh, that urban farming and urban food production has. How far are we from that vision of urban agriculture that you discuss in your book? Well, Australia's quite a way off because it's only just going to sink in that we might not be able to farm in a hot world. But, you know, cities like Singapore are already doing it. Countries like Holland are already doing it. All of the big cities of the world now have got significant developments in, in urban farming, hydroponics, aquaponics, biocultures, those sorts of things. And, and the growing of vegetables and fruits and things like that in the urban environment is taking off like wildfire. In Toowoomba, in southeast Queensland, more shipping containers are growing food. Hello, Robin speaking. Robin Ailes produces specialty mushrooms for restaurants and a local farmer's market. She says farming in a shipping container isn't just more efficient, it's easy to get into. Because they are so portable and it's an instant fix, they're insulated 
So we bought in the shipping containers from a local provider here. We rented them for a while until we were sure that it was going to work. And then we purchased them. They're perfect because the internal walls and everything are easy to clean. And as you would imagine, at certain temperatures and humidity, it's very important to keep algae and other fungi from getting in there. And Robin Ailes says she doesn't just sell mushrooms. She sells the story of a small-scale local farm that uses renewable energy and has low food miles. It helps, yes. Um, and being able to talk about it too is is a great advantage. We sell to a lot of restaurants here in Toowoomba and they advertise the fact that they purchase locally, so food miles are important to them, and micro farms rather than the big ones but our biggest market of course is the farmers market every Saturday so um, we can actually tell people and it's amazing how many people ask where do you grow this are you local Uh, how far do you have to come to the market Mm. and um, if we can say we drove four kilometers from where we grow these it is an edge yes urban farmer Robin Ailes ending that report by David Barnock Clement That's it for this week's episode of Countrywide. For more on most of the stories you've heard in this episode and to listen to the Countrywide podcast, you can just head along to the ABC website. I'm Kit Mocken. Thanks for your company. It's been great. I'll catch you again soon.